0: From Wakefield, it's the Nolan Car Night Show. I'm going Nolan as guest this week, Mark Lynette, back to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. And my, oh, my, do we have one of my top favorite guests returning back to the program. My, And I'll say this, the last time this guest came on, he got the most views out of any other interview I've done on this podcast. It was over... 500 i believe so to have him on again was a big treat for me last time he was on we talked about the new edition of sounds of summer now he is on here we talk about at the time of this recording the newly released sail on sailor box set which is about holland and the carl no passions albums from the early to mid 70s it's a pleasure to have this man on not only has he worked with the beach boys brian wilson the state of Jimi hendrix he's worked with several other successful artists As in charge of your place or mine recording studios he is the man himself the mark lynette my friend how are you
1: i'm good thanks nolan nice (laughs) to be here
0: of course it's it's always a blessing again as i said thank you for uh, helping me and you know being so kind to want to do this again as as you said before we got going here you've, you've been a busy man the last few years but specifically i'm sure the last chunk of time with this release and everything of of that nature i want to start like this you know last time we talked about COVID and how it's sort of been so we don't have to go that route again but for you compared to field flows what's been what was different about this process in terms of the projects you know process for putting together and the end goal of it
1: well the biggest the biggest thing probably was putting together the complete uh carnegie hall show from yeah. uh, thanksgiving of 72 um you know we had two I can't believe this. I mean, they did two complete set, uh, two complete shows, four sets total um, uh, at, at, at that concert. So, um, conden- uh, uh, editing that, you know, to one complete performance, which was of course the intention, um, was <laughs> even after all the work I've, I've done for the Beach Boys and on live material in general um you know that just turned out to be a um a much a much more complex um uh time consuming pro- project part of part of the project that I, even i expected um sure. uh, yeah part of that was was uh it's hard to estimate that <laughs> sure that, that kind of thing until you really get into it
0: sure well and to think that 50 years ago when they had that concert that they knew that it was going to be on a live album, so now to finally have it out and about is a pretty special thing.
1: Yeah, I mean that was the intention was to use that for a live album, and for whatever reason, uh, they they didn't use any of it and wound up using um, recordings from the three days, three four days before in uh, Passaic, New Jersey, and sure. then some of the recordings from uh, 1973. Um, nothing. I mean, we've used bits and pieces of this concert. Sure. over the years but the but the it was it was not used on the in concert album
0: well i'm curious about that because they had the the, the um the 73 live in, in concert album um that they had released with uh dennis wilson on the front cover where he's in front of all those fans and then they but then, then there's the other concerts they released uh the nebworth concert that came out in cd in the early 2000s and they had this and i was just curious about that i mean as, as we said it took 50 years to come out so for that does that hold a lot of importance to you that you were able to help bring that into the limelight since it's such a you know, historic thing for Beach Boy fans?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, this is the first time. Um, well, first, first of all, it's the first time we've ever uh, released a complete front to back show. I mean, Nebworth um, isn't, isn't entirely complete. There are a few songs that we had to leave out for various reasons. Um, so it's the first time that that's ever happened we've done a complete front-to-back show and then of course yes the 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 historic nature of them playing um I mean, they played Carnegie Hall several times sure. in, in, that, in that period but this is the only one that was uh you know properly recorded well recorded at all for that matter except by fans.
0: I mentioned you know the high point of, of some of the stuff on this album and similar to Feel Flows the Sailor and Sailor era was another part of their their creative high point and their music uh, history for you to be able to put that together and put that out there. Was that another big accomplishment for you? Yeah, both of
1: these, both of these projects, Field Flows and and Sail on Sailor um, are are projects that I've wanted, you know, wanted to see done uh, for many, many years, probably at least at least 20 years. And uh, it's always been a bit of a challenge to get, you know, to get past the Capitol um, era, um because in part because the you know the beach boys did did change uh during this period and um are not quite the same group sure uh, i mean musically not the same group they were um at capital in the sixties to their to their credit and um so it's been sure. always a bit of a a, a, a challenge in some ways i'll just say marketing wise to uh to revisit um this portion of of their career and um i always i personally always expected and i had some support you know from the fans and internally that when we if we if and when we were able to do this that it it would get a um, a really good response and and that's been true i mean actually it 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 goes all the way back to 2017 when we did sunshine tomorrow and um uh, mixed, uh, I mixed Wild Honey in stereo, um, and and we included a lot of stuff, you know, outtakes from there and from Smiley Smile and track breakdowns and so forth. Because that's when it real when the um, Smiley Smile and Wild Honey is when you know the the, the change um, in the marketplace, you know, re- really began. And so for a lot of people, um, they were really you know overlooked. Uh, records and it was a very favorable response i mean we we were surprised the label was surprised um uh that um uh, that the sales you know were were really good on that project and that a lot of people um appreciated um all this music that you know they hadn't really been exposed to before sure
0: speaking of the historic Carnegie carnegie hall concert there's also a big time historical and beach boy nut um release on here being the fairy tale on here and everyone knows the story of Brian, his his take on, it and Jack Riley narrating it. Compared to the Carnegie Hall concert, what was that like? bringing the fairy tale out into the public.
1: It's just it, again, it's just part of the whole, um, uh, you know, album or albums that they released. You know, in in that in that time frame. I mean, we we have released. Um, we, we did put various parts of the fairy tale on before, and it's been reissued. Um, the biggest thing probably on this release is that uh, on the vinyl um, editions, uh, the the two disc and I want to say five disc without looking it up, um, for the first time, we've actually created a facsimile of the original seven inch 33 and a third, you know, two sided single with the original artwork. Actually the artwork, I haven't seen it yet. I don't have my copy, but I've read that that uh, they actually did it in heavy card stock as opposed to um you know the sort of uh picture sleeve you know kind of uh, uh inner sleeve you know kind of uh, uh, uh printing uh, that was done back in the day sure. so that's probably the biggest thing is that we were we, we were able to uh to do that and then of course present um something similar to what i think it was on the 93 box um, where we presented just the music, uh, you know, all spliced together and then various, you know, bits and pieces, acapella mixes, and um, actually, uh, and then a, a demo of uh, Brian running it down sure. uh, uh, with Carl.
0: You mentioned sort of, you know, songs that were left off the original album that, you know, we're still quality material that you're able to, you know, kind of bring back into the limelight and share with people on this box set. Sort of describe, if you can, the process of, because I find it interesting, you know, there are songs on there, there's a few live songs, not from the Carnegie concert, there's some demos on there, like the uh, Robert Frost poem that um, Al is recording, or the demo that seems to turn into the, all this is that sort of, but for your process, and maybe Alan's as well, how do you go about choosing what stuff makes the cut in terms of the demos or the other live songs on that set?
1: Oh, it starts with what you know. What what is what do we have? What do we? Uh, in this case, a fair amount of material that um, we weren't uh, entirely sure we could use um, because of who you know. For first use release, um, uh, I think there was one or two things that we had to get uh, 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 Blondie and and or Ricky to sign off on um, because they had never they had never been really you know the songs had never been recorded by anybody. And then things like the Sail on sailor uh, demo um, that you know we've known about for years, and um, I mean that was that was always a, a, a lock. I mean we've we've been we we've known we could use that. We we um, yeah, Jonathan Anderly, uh David Anderley's son, uh, you know, let us know long ago that he had found his father's copy of of that cassette or the original. We don't we don't know for sure. Um, and that we'd be able to use it, but to finally do it um, was great. And then uh, there was some other material that it <laughs> took um, uh, you know took some 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 work, uh, especially on Alan's part uh, with various you know various people letting you know let either giving us material or letting us use material that that we had, but we couldn't just you know arbitrarily um, uh, you know, throw on a set like this. I mean, it, it's sure. uh, it, bootleggers have a certain have a certain advantage in that they don't <laughs> yes. have to uh, they don't have to worry about those kind of uh, those kind of issues,
0: sure. well, it's it's an interesting concept. And I'm sure there's so much that you you find or have found seeing as you have that sort of bird's eye view and first person perspective. so it's I'm sure a challenge to figure out, okay, what do I put on here? What not to put on here? On other albums that have been there, uh, like Feel Flows and so forth, there are um, songs that they perform from different decades. Seeing as this is from the early seventies, how hard were you trying to find these other live recordings of these songs from this period to be from that period instead of, let's say, from the eighties or different uh decades? Well, oh, I mean, you, you
1: you yeah you have this problem where they're only going to be doing in the year um, where the records are released uh, or the year after the tours after that. Um, um, they're only going to be doing a certain number of the songs, um, and then they tend to uh, they tend to last in the set, you know, a longer or shorter. Sure. I mean, "Sail on Sailor," uh, you know, pretty much continues uh, even to this day, I think. Um, but we, yeah, that's why we went to the sem- to some of the '73 recordings, uh, you know, for songs that they weren't. Um, that, you know they weren't they weren't doing at Carnegie Hall sure. um, and they didn't they didn't as far as I can remember of listening to some audience recordings they weren't they weren't doing in 72 they didn't start doing them till uh, till 73 and uh, you know we always try in these in these releases um when we have room which is usually always to find live you know live versions of the songs on the on those albums um regardless of the, the uh uh, the the year that they were performed. Sure. Um, I mean, the only the only all this is that uh, you know was was done during the uh, '93 yeah. sort of unplugged tour, and that's why we we went there. Um, uh, yeah. And and you know they're just well depends on the project. I mean, sure. previously we haven't been doing a whole a whole concert, so we'll take you know take a variety of live recordings uh, from various. Uh, generations, I think, on field flows. Sure. We even had, we even had. I think, um, what song was it? I can't remember. I know it goes into d- uh, "Don't Worry, Baby," but anyway, uh, that we actually took from a 1982 show because it was one of the few times, um, you know, that they were that they were doing it. And obviously, well, I don't think anybody, nobody started doing their whole album until that's a fairly recent phenomenon. Sure. Um, so it can be you know it 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 can be uh, interesting to try to you know try to find um live performances which are always you know an interesting contrast
0: sure i'm sure it's it's a it's a fun to a certain degree i'm sure picking what songs you want to take out and use last time we were on here and la- last june when sounds of summer the new issue came out we talked about or your role and alan's role and the beach boys role of Bring this music to people who might not have heard it or those who know it but haven't heard certain parts of it before. With a situation like Sail on Sail on the Box that may be similar to Feel Flows, it's not necessarily the greatest hits like *A Sounds of Summer where everyone knows necessarily the whole chunk of songs. So with a project like this, how do you find yourself trying to get this music out to an audience that A, may know some of it, but some who may
1: not know it at all? I mean, we, we just try to put together the best... Uh, package of of material. Obviously, the original albums speak for themselves, and then uh, um, things to surround it with on the on the bigger on the bigger volumes. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. six CD, and and of course it's all up on streaming as well. Um, you know, I've always been and, and Alan always been very fond of deconstructing um, uh, their masters uh, <clears throat> to some degree. Uh, you know, to to uh, to show the process and um uh um, you know infor- um, not unfortunately but you know the the this era we are now into six, 16 fully into 16 track recording which is great because it means you know they can do a lot a lot of other things and the live recording there's you know much more track separation than we're used to the only downside is that because uh well two things because tape tape was very, you know, getting very expensive at that point, even here, Mike talked about it uh, during the Carnegie show, yeah. um, they, unlike the uh, the 60s, uh, uh, you know, where they would basically save everything, uh, maybe once in a while, if you, you know, if you ran, if you ran to the end of the reel, maybe you'd, maybe you'd go back and record over the first, you know, 10 or 15 takes, um, but at this point in time, you um, it's much less likely and uh, you know you're also sort of recording with a basic you know a very basic band track, um, fewer instruments initially, and you know planning to overdub. I mean one thing we found is I, I found was in doing um, some transfers is that I was doing a transfer, I forget what song it was. and at the end there was a bunch of material that was backwards, which was you know which which meant to me that they had you know run the tape, and rather than rewind it and record over it, they just ran to the end, turned it over, and and you know and and recorded over what was there. And it turned out that it was um, uh, the, the tracking uh, for "Here She Comes," and uh, you know. So so we were able to <laughs> able to use that um, uh, on the box where generally we don't have a lot of uh, sure. a lot of a lot of band outtakes. And you also tend to not have, um, because you're not recording from machine to machine anymore, you don't tend to have a lot of, um, generally a lot of unused vocals. I mean, the whole thing about um, Sail on Sailor, for example, and this talk that, you know, Dennis tried to record it and Carl tried to do the lead vocal, but if you if you go to the multi-track, all you, it, it's it's really interesting that it's full, but because there's only, I think, two, two background tracks and, um, Blondie's lead vocal. There's no leftover, you know, unrecorded. I mean, uh, um, unused, um, you know, lead lead vocals. Sure. And there, if, if if you know then maybe there was a rough mix made or that sure. you know, and and uh, you know, somebody took it home. Uh, but we don't have anything in the library, and that leads me to think, as an engineer, that it may be simply that they were all in the studio and. Dennis tried to sing it, Carl tried to sing it and then Blondie sang it and um you know that they were satisfied with that being the best so they kept it. Um sure. and, you know there're lo- there lots of reasons that, that that could apply here but the sure. you know the important the important mm-hmm. thing is that that Blondie's is the only lead vocal um that we've ever uh you know, found anywhere.
0: Sure. Well, that's obviously,
1: the- you know, everybody, everybody sang it live. Yeah. Uh, not everybody, but you know.
0: yeah. Yeah. And that's most why I mean, you, we
1: put, yeah. we put the Billy Hinchey, um, a version with Billy singing lead from 75, um, you know, in, in part to honor him since, yeah. since we lost him uh, um, earlier this, I think it was, I think it was in 2022 or, or late last year. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. I, I like that. And
0: I like his, I also like the, the um live versions that there are of Carl singing this song, especially near the end of his time on Earth where it still shows, he like, still has that prominent voice that he had. I want, mentioning, and I keep going back to this, of the, where they were artistically at this moment with their uh, music and the following albums that pursue after these and my, one of my favorites, if not one of my top favorite albums they do is their self-titled 1985 album where they go over in England with Steve Levine, who produces you know, Culture Club and so on and so forth. Is there any album after these that you're most looking forward to sort of diving into next?
1: Well, I did, yeah, I have no idea where what what might happen next, but I mean, you know, Love You would be a record that uh, it would certainly be interesting to explore. Um, you know, the other thing about the band at this point is that while they have fought, they have they have come back uh, in the in, into their own. And you know they expand their audience from here, and you know a couple of years later find themselves playing, you know, for hundreds of thousands of yeah. people, um, which is pretty interesting. After you know, for a while there in the late '60s, they they had a tough time, um, you know, drawing a a, you know, a decent a decent sized audience. But you you can hear the dichotomy um, on the live show because, uh, and I've never fully understood this, although. I experienced it. I mean, I bought. You know, I'm I'm I, I'm 70 years old, so uh, I started buying uh, Beach Boys singles you know, around 60. Well, I heard them in 62. I don't know that I bought one until 63, but I bought them all. I bought all the big the big hits. I didn't buy any albums because you didn't you didn't buy albums then. Nobody bought nobody bought rock and roll albums really until the Beatles. You know, meet the Beatles. Then we you know, then we started buying albums, but even then. Um, you know, the Beach Boys as an album band didn't really, you know, work for me. And while I didn't, um, uh, I didn't think of them, you know, as 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 the late '60s came along, and um, you know, we suddenly we suddenly go into uh, alternate format FM radio, and it's, um, you know, it is albums. It's the Jefferson Airplane, and Hendrix, and Cream, and you know, and the Beatles, and all that. Um, you know, the Beach Boys, the hits were still there, you know, nominally. Sure. But the albums, even Pet Sounds, I mean, I bought it, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't make a big impact on me at the time. Sure. And it probably had to do as much both with their image, you yeah. know, which was still a holdover from you know, from what they had been. Um, and they weren't being played, you know. Sure. The, I mean, pet sounds smiley, you know, even Sunflower, which which um a lot of people and critics agree was a fantastic album. Um, I, I've heard stories that, you know, uh, alternate FM DJs that you know thought said it was great, but they couldn't they couldn't yeah. play it because it was the Beach Boys, yeah. you know. So it wasn't until Surfs Up came along that's that suddenly they had a place in um, uh, it, you know in the current in the current music scene again. Sure. And um, which was great. The only I won't say it's a problem, and and I don't really, I can't totally understand this, but you can hear it on the Carnegie show that that a lot of the audience is less interested in the new material and much more interested in hearing them play "Help Me, Rhonda" and yeah. you know so on and so forth, and you know then of course endless uh, um, you know the hit, the the hit albums that come out uh, a few years later really cemented uh you know their their uh, reputation um not as an oldies band exactly but but that that this younger audience um really wanted to hear those songs sure. and um i think i think while they you know while they certainly tried to create new music i i think it definitely had an effect on um on what they were doing um because the two things were a little incompatible, and sure. uh, you hear this—you know—you you hear this on all the sh- all the shows. Also, when you when you've got twenty or thirty big recognizable hits, when you go to do a concert, um, how you know how many new songs are you going to be able to include? You sure. know, it, 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 it's, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. And I something that I always talk about is, you know. I mean, the amazing thing is that is that they they did become so successful, um, uh, it, it, you know, in this period with both their new and their old music. Um, you know, if you'd asked me personally in oh, I don't know, 1967, you know, where where the Beach Boys fit into things, I'm, I, I think I would have said they were a little more um, relevant still to me. Then you know their contemporaries. I mean Jan and Dean or Gary yeah, Lewis. Sure. You know, um, uh, but still you know they fell into the striped shirts and yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I mean you know when you're when you're getting high and 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 playing Jimi Hendrix records, it's a little you know, <laughs> it's a it's a little hard. Um, but they're really the only group that I that I've ever been able to think of that managed to have both this amazing you know uh, career. Um, in the in the early mid '60s, and then come back, you know, on the, with the Surf Up album, and and after that, and be even bigger, um, you know, as as an act, as as a band. Um, I can't think of anybody else that managed to pull, you know, to pull off a trick like that.
0: Last time we also spoke, we meant we talked about your working relationship with Brian, that you've been with him for the last few decades, and a lot of his solo albums and so forth. Looking at that and the stuff you've done with the beach Boys as well, would you ever have interest if they gave you the opportunity or asked you to do like a, a box set of maybe some of Carl or Dennis's solo stuff or are you just happy doing beach boy stuff
1: no i'd be i'd be thr- I'd be thrilled to do that um i mean i uh, i don't remember, <laughs> I, I'd have to count up for you i mean I could do it on my hands i guess you know brian brian's uh, solo uh uh records that I worked on um either from start to finish or there are a few that I that I recorded but didn't mix. Um, and I didn't do the last, I don't know, last couple, although a bunch of stuff that I recorded in the 90s is on the Long Promised Road uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, uh, but no, I mean, uh, uh, you know, something that I've, I've <laughs> and I don't know if we're going to do this, but something that I proposed a while ago um, for the, well, just in general, but I would have, liked to have seen it for the 60th anniversary was a set that essentially featured each member of the group um, on a single disc um, wow. more more within the beach boys sure. uh, than, than solo but we certainly could have considered that if if it had um, you know if it, if it had been greenlit um, to do a project like project yeah. like that and maybe you know maybe maybe we can get there at some point you know the, yeah. the music business is kind of funny now because, um, you know, when I started doing these kind of projects, uh, uh, there were no budget constraints, there were no, I mean, you know, there was no worry about, um, you know, what's this going to sell, it was, it was it was an art project. I mean, sure. it, it, it's simple economics. I mean, you know, when Capitol Records was selling, you know, 10 million Bob Seger records, um, you know, the, the, a Beach Boys reissue. Uh, the, the consideration was not um, what it was going to sell, sure. and, uh, um, and 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 they still sold very well because, of course, that in those days, people you bought it or you didn't. There was no, you know, there was no streaming. There was no downloads. Sure. There was no, <laughs> you know. I mean, we had bootlegs, but you know, that was still buying. Sure. Um, you know, so the, so things have changed. Um, uh, you know, dramatically over the years in terms of these, these kind of projects, which on one level, you know, it, it, uh, it is history and it's important. And, um, you know, it would, it would be nice if it, if it wasn't uh, uh, an economic concern. And then, sure. and then on top of that, you have the problem of there's only so much room uh, in sure. the marketplace for physical products. And in terms of vinyl, um, everybody wants to do vinyl and you you know there's only so much vinyl that can be pressed at um, uh, any you know in any time period and uh, you know so I mean the, and the lag time on that you have to book it and, and it's like six to eight months at least <laughs> um, it, so it's quite you know so so even something that's successful uh, to follow it up can be, you know, uh, can have a lot of other considerations. And by the same token, you know, in terms of um, sales, I remember when we did the first uh, version of Sounds of Summer. By then, there were considerations. I mean, it wasn't, I, it wasn't so much. Um, way it is now where it, it really has to be mapped out sure. but there you know there was an expectation given you know we've been doing a lot of other projects they've had sound sessions and the other box sets and the two first there I, I remember you know talking to marketing and there was there was an estimate of what they expected it to sell sure and <laughs> ironically what, what i what they re, what they expected was five hundred thousand. and of course initially it went on to do closer to two million sure. and now it's up over four million. Yeah. Um, um, which uh, it's kind, you know, um it's kind of interesting. I mean it does it it does show you that to some degree you just never know. Um uh, sure, yeah. as I said, I mean the the um I have it here actually. Let's see, will it let me you know, so, well, yeah. there it is. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, Sunshine tomorrow. Uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what. Well, I'm sure there was an expectation. There pretty much has to be. There, sure. there has to be a number, a sales <laughs> estimate attached to uh, any release these yeah. days, or you can't do it. Um, I remember that uh, uh, they didn't. They didn't. They, they underestimated, and they actually had to yeah. hold the release up. um and this is five years ago, but um, for a couple of weeks, be, be, so they could press up more. Uh, vinyl because the okay. the pre-order exceeded um what they had expected
0: sure well it, i'm sure that's it's just a great feeling i'm sure for you to be part of that and to help at least try in your whatever degree you can to help bring that to fruition i want to end with this last uh, question before the little game i want to play at the end and once again thank you mark again for doing this since 98 when carl passed away unfortunately both brian and now within the last handful of years or so with alan Blondie as well as Mike with Bruce and his group have consistently been touring minus any health setbacks since then. What's it been like for you, not only as a fan for the music that's benefited you, but for you to be able to have an input and um, uh, point of view to be able to bring this music out to the limelight um, all these years later?
1: Um, Well, it hasn't really changed. I mean, as I said, you know, Fuel Flows and, and, and this project, you know, are both things that, you know, if you'd asked me I don't know, five years ago, 10, well not five, five, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I would have said the same thing. I mean, uh, uh, my reaction to the success of other projects was always, oh, we really, you know, we should be doing this This period. I mean, um, you know, the 68 albums uh, that we did, that unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, are only downloads and the streaming, they're not available physically, uh, Wake the World and, um, I can hear music that cover um, uh, Friends in 2020. I mean, that's, you know, I'm glad we got to do them. And, and there's kind of an irony there because they were sort of based around um, uh, copyright uh, uh, needs um, and, <laughs> and ironically uh, bootlegs. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's another period that I, I you know, I would have really liked to have done a full scale uh, you know, box like like one of these, sure. um, because it's you know, it I mean, this whole period, I mean even for me personally, you know, when when because uh, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it, even when I started working on this material. I paid less attention to it than the, than you know pet sounds and and the stuff that I was more familiar with. but the deeper I got into it, um you know, I realized that there was this huge treasure trove of their music that, most of the world, uh, you know, hadn't been exposed to, well, at all, in yeah. recent <laughs> memory, um, but in some ways, you know, hadn't, uh, except for SurfSup Up, maybe, hadn't really been exposed to much at all, uh, because at the time, when they came out, um, you know, the, the way history and the marketplace and uh, and all those things kind of conspired, conspired against them.
0: Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing, but you know, thankfully there are people like you and Alan out there who are helping bring this music to a whole different generation. Before we end here, I want to end on this little game called "All This Is All This or That," which is it would be a good song title for the Beach Boys to do if they ever decide to do something of that nature. And in this, I'll throw I'll throw out a name of something you have to choose either this or that if that makes sense.
1: Okay, it's
0: all it's all Beach Boys related. Uh, first one, "Calm a Passion," so tough or. Uh, or Holland.
1: Ooh, you know, so I would have given you a different answer before I did this project. I, I, I probably, I probably would have said Holland, but now I'm not so sure. Um, you know, if, if I were doing it, I, I would, The best of both albums. Um, you know, I've, I've got favorites on both of them, and part of that, part of that, frankly, is because we dissected some of these things. Um, uh, I, I think these are both albums where dissections really, um, if you're a music fan, you know, really, uh, tell you a lot.
0: Uh, the next one, M.I.U. or the L.A. Light album?
1: Uh, see, again, that's tough because there's really good stuff on both of them yeah. and there, there's some weaker, you know, weaker tracks on them. Um. See, but this is, of course, always the problem. It just can be the problem when you get into albums as opposed yeah. to uh, uh, singles. Yeah. Um, and part of that, I mean, part of that for me is just that you know my taste, my taste went somewhere else uh, when those records were uh, were current. Oh, yeah. And um, if we ever, if we're able to, if we're ever able to really do something serious with those you know with those albums at 15 big ones and even you know all the unreleased stuff I mean the um, um, you know uh, not landlocked sorry uh, uh, adult child that whole period yeah um, you know the more I get the more I get to work on something or really work with it the more appreciate the more appreciation I gain um, for what they were up to you um, in that period. I mean, I have to admit that, you know, uh, uh, those, those albums, you know, passed me by, uh, if <laughs> you know, you I looked at the release dates, I could tell you, I mean, uh, you know, I was just listening to different, you know, to different things. I was listening sure. to friends Zappa, by who I ultimately went to work for yeah. and a lot of, a lot of prog rock. And, um, it's interesting to go back. It, you know, if I go back now and a sort of a nostalgia trip and listen to some of that stuff, some of it, I still like an awful lot. Uh, and some of it i'm like you know (laughs) really yeah (laughs) i guess i guess you know i guess in those days the drugs made up for it maybe but um uh, you know we all we all have our um our musical history as listeners
0: well I, i i in that situation i'll only say la light album because dennis's material on there that it comes from his solo albums saves the album for me. And of course, the Carl Wilson, Brian Wilson, the songwriting duo that put out together um good time and was saves it for me as, as well on that album.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're both, they're both good, you know, they're both good albums and they both have great stuff on them. It's just, uh, uh, you know, the album's just, just even, even in this period, I mean, they start, you know, it's like the Beatles, they start to be more like solo, sure, you know, yeah. solo records with, beach boys on them or not you know and uh so that sort of changes um the you know the way the way you look at them especially for a group that was you know so much um about you know being a group sound as opposed to uh you know any individual um any individual members
0: sure now uh, this is the last one of the albums that i'll do uh keeping the summer alive or the self-titled 1985 album
1: I'll, I'll reserve judgment on that. I mean, part of the problem with those rec- those records is that the um, uh, the production um, you know tends to get in the way uh, sure. a, a bit, uh, and it, it it's um, it, it's less true, for example, like on, on Brian's first solo album that I worked on a lot. Sure. But even there, um, and I'm as guilty of this. I mean, I didn't choose those things, but yeah, you know, but. Um, you know uh, a lot of records I worked on in that period um, you know as with today sure. <laughs> they they uh, they, t- they tended to go for a certain production value that uh, I'm not sure in retrospect was the best way to present the songs I mean for example I keep the song keeping the summer alive I think the live version from Nebworth is better yeah. than you know better than the studio version um, and whether that's just because it's more exciting live or or, or what, but uh, when you get away for me, when you get away from that organic, you know, the organic sure. recording um, and into machines, it's tough. I mean, it's better now. In some ways, it's better now. I mean, it 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 it's less um, less obvious, if you will. Sure. Um, but I have a lot of problems with a lot of my, sure. a lot of current music, and I work on a lot of it. Sure. I mean, I, I I do a lot of broadcast uh, music and uh it, it, yeah, it, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know the, the the purity of of uh musicians playing and and people singing and um, um you know back back when we didn't we didn't have all these 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 other ways of doing it and these fancy gadgets um and again, maybe I'm just an old guy, but <laughs> it, it, it's it's always more appealing to me, and I'm I'm always pleased when when somebody today comes along and seems to have that same sensibility.
0: Sure. Uh, this next one, I'll do this more of a, a different avenue. Gary Usher or Roger Christian?
1: I'd have to look at the song titles. I want, off the top of my head, I would say Roger, but that's largely that's probably because Gary. um you know, did did a lot. Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to say, but, Gar- yeah. you know, Gary did an awful lot of stuff that was, you know, just, um, you know, let's make another surf-themed album sure. this <laughs> afternoon, you know, and they're kind of fun, you know, yeah. Dracula's Deuce or, you know, whatever it was. Um, it, uh, you know, so it's it's hard. If you just ask me about, about them as, as uh, writers and producers, well, Roger wasn't a producer, but, uh, you know, I tend to fall back on the overall um uh, output, not just sure. not just the beach Boys.
0: Well what I like about Gary is that he worked with I believe and you probably know this to be certain, he worked with Brian a bit on his first solo album in the late 80s. And there's a song on that album. I believe it's being with the one you love that he that was on that album that Brian had performed that I thought was you know pretty good, especially the version that was previously before it turned into that one. But a, that's a whole another conversation for a whole another day. came yeah, file- doing
1: time on planet Earth, but I yeah. think that's uh, yeah. If I were to guess without yeah. doing the research, that's probably the uh, Doctor You know, Eugene Landy's yeah. lyrics. Yeah, uh, and we have a few of those. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah. I, 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 have, I, have yeah me. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole set of Gary Usher demos with Brian, and you know they're demos, so you don't you know you you excuse it. It's drum machines and you yeah.
0: Know.
1: Um, but it does make it a little harder to uh uh, to relate to the songs Uh, whereas you know in the 60s you know demos are you know a stripped down band maybe but you know very they're much closer to what the records became and much easier to envision than um you know in the 80s when it's you know let's let's make a drum beat and you know with a machine and sing over it and and we're done
0: the final one i want to say this and we sort of talked about one of those guys when we first spoke in June of of this past summer Chuck Britz or Steven Desper
1: it's two completely different things um i i you know i would i would i'd be loath to uh to have to pick um because one you know uh, uh, chuck was dealing with much more of the all the elements are, you know, I got 16 guys in the room and um, I won't say it's more, it was more about capturing um, a performance. um, Whereas, you know, for Steve, it was more, it was much more like building a, you know, building a performance that they were were creating. So to be, I mean, I can't really pick either one uh, because they were sort of different, dealing with different eras. And it's interesting, though, you know, I once asked one of the times I spoke to Chuck because when I found out that he had, you know, towards the end of his life, he was working in the tape transfer room at Hanna-Barbera, you know, the cartoon makers. And I asked him why he had, you know, uh, gotten out of making records relatively early in life. His reply was, quote, Mark, I couldn't stand all that overdubbing. <laughs> and I know what he means. I mean, I've done, I mean, unfortunately, you know, I mean, live stuff is one thing, but I mean, I've, I have not done too many records that would fit into the category of how they made records, you know, in Chuck's day. Um, last one would have been, I did a, 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 a Broadway cast album about, God, I don't know what it is now, 10 years ago or something in New York. And it was just fantastic because we had the pit band. And so the whole thing is just, you know, coming at you balanced right and um, uh, or relatively right, you know. And even that was more elaborate than, than you know, what would have been coming out of Studio 3, you know, uh, back in the day. And I know, but so I know what Chuck means. Um, you know, if if what you were used to was, you know, going in at 11 o'clock at night and at two or whatever it was, and at three o'clock in the morning, you've got the finished track of God Only Knows, and you're never going to add another, another uh, anything except vocals, mm-hmm. as opposed to, okay, now, come a couple of years later, and now we're going to cut a basic track with drums and bass and guitar, and we kind of want them isolated, mm-hmm. so the room... You know, we don't really the room sound, if anything, is a detriment. And then, you know, as when I started, it was not uncommon, you know, you'd spend all day doing, you know, two guitar solos on a song, or you'd spend weeks doing vocals and comping vocals and all that. I mean it, you know, um I I mean it was fine. I was happy yeah. to, you know, just be in the room, but uh I, I can certainly understand if you as Chuck did spent 10, 15, 20 years, um, uh, you know, capturing these amazing performances, um, uh, you know, on the spot, uh, it would be hard to do that. The irony, of course, is that the kind of things I'm talking about that 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 bugged him <laughs> was when engineers, you know, made a lot more money because there was a lot more work and studios sure. made more money because now we're not, we're not going to, you know, Cut f- three tracks this afternoon and come in tomorrow and maybe spend two or three days doing the vocals and mix it the day after and boom you know it it, it it's all done um, you know we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna sit here for a week and uh, you know uh, uh, do bass overdubs or something um, um, so yeah I I I understand his 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 perspective <laughs> on that you know uh, that it just I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't really understand what he was saying at the time, sure. and I wish I, I wish I had because I'd love to talk to him about. it. And there are a few guys out there that you, that I guess you could still ask that question. Um, sure. It's it sort of, it, it, I can tell you, a, sort of an interesting story that's sort of related to that. When I worked at uh, Warner Studios in the '80s, my boss was Lee Hirschberg, and Lee. Um, I mean, he did a lot, you know, ridiculous amount of pop records, um, uh, mostly for Lenny Watercore and Russ Titelman and people like that. But his his big start uh, was as Frank Sinatra's engineer, okay. uh, beginning with Strangers in the Night, um, uh, and except for the, the duets album towards the end of Frank's life, um, he did pretty much everything. And, <clears throat> Uh, and, you know in those records I have a lot of the outtakes from that those records are just amazing because it's you know live you know live big band on the floor and Frank singing live and you know overdubbing was he hated overdubbing yeah you know he just didn't didn't like it didn't want to do it um and one of the things I did when I was you know getting into my building my studio was I guess well in part because of my love of all these old records I was able to buy um a couple of the original consoles uh, mm. that had been at, at united western and uh you you know used them for all kinds of stuff uh, the remakes of pet sounds and brian soul records and on and on and on and um 20 years ago my wife uh threw me a 50th birthday party and lee came and i thought oh well i'll you know i'll show him you know i'll show him this, the console i have and i you know I, you know, if you showed me something that I worked on in the beginning, I'd I'd be kind of warm and fuzzy about it. And he was kind of horrified <laughs> that anybody would want anything to do with that. Now, this is more of a technical thing. And we talk, talked about it for a while and I realized what it was is that the, you know, however good it sounded, the damn things were just so unreliable <laughs> that, um, uh, you know, it was more like, you know, like piloting the Titanic uh, because you, you know, You'd be the guy. You'd be the guy who had to, you know, when the when the console one module started making noise and you couldn't record. You had to be the guy who say, uh, uh, "Frank, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we got You and the forty musicians out there got to take a break while we try to fix this."
0: Yeah,
1: you, know? you don't uh, want to be doing that. No, no. So it 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 did help explain this. There's a whole other level to this that when when all that old gear, you know, went out, how much difference did it make with the solid state? gear came in which i i I agree probably at least initially did not sound as good but it didn't matter because it was it was uh uh it, it was reliable
0: sure
1: and it's funny um that uh what would it be now you know 40 years ago um the only the only place you found all that old tube gear was either you know in a junk store or uh in the the you know the two bit studios here in town. I mean, I um, when I started out here in like 72, 73, I worked in a really crummy studio, and it, they like a lot of crummy studios had all the had all the old tube mics that nobody wanted that are now worth you know twenty thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> wow. Um That whole studio probably didn't have much more than than or maybe no probably didn't have that much you know, uh, spend on gear in the whole damn place. Um, So it's, (laughs) it's, it's interesting how these, how these things happen.
0: Well, it's just, that's, that's why that music from the period that when you grew up and the music that I've been able to tune into now that you've had a role in putting out there for people and and a new limelight and a new degree is is such a beautiful thing compared to a lot of the music nowadays that's on TikTok and all that stuff that's sort of come to fruition. But that's another conversation for another day. Well, sir again this is a blast and i appreciate the time you took to come on again to talk about this amazing box at Salon sailor which is out now as of this recording it's been out for about the past week mark where can people get it? amazon those sort of places
1: it's available everywhere i mean amazon and uh well i mean as the the physical yeah the physical product of course yeah (laughs) um and it's on all the streaming platforms uh I, i i haven't looked i assume a good bit of it's uh on YouTube, yeah, um, probably, and we, you know, and, and probably we, we, we haven't, uh, we, we haven't touched on a number of uh, uh, things. I mean, for example, um, "Carry Me Home," the Dennis Wilson yeah,
0: yeah.
1: track that um, uh, was originally slated for "Surf's Up," um, but was considered, and I can sort of understand this, a bit too dark, uh, yeah. you know, even for the, the, the social, the newly socially conscious uh, uh, Beach Boys. Um, and it's taken, you know, it, it, that carried over. I mean, we, we have we've tried to release it a number of times on um, uh, compilations, and uh, it it's uh, just never been something that the group was uh, was comfortable with.
0: Well, everyone out there, if you're listening to this, why the heck not? I, I heavily encourage you, as well as Mark, I'm sure does to check it out, buy the hard copy or the. Uh, version online or both whatever um, suits your heart check it out there you won't be disappointed follow on social media twitter Nolan current night show instagram Nolan current night show and in the words of johnny carson ladino shows like this although his is vastly better than mine i bid you all heartfelt good night take care until next time